Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. Plenty of good stuff to kick around this week. The Rockets make two major announcements. A Houston athlete wins their seventh straight championship, and the Astros pick up two nice series wins. As always, I'm joined by my co-host and regular sidekick, a fellow H-Town sports junkie and veteran journalist, Stephen Kerr. And Stephen, are you enjoying watching Luis... Cy Young Garcia and Fromber <laughs> Fourfinger Valdez. I love the nicknames. Yeah, I'm I'm enjoying the Astros a lot better this week than I was last week, Robert. It, it's like the it just kept bleeding and bleeding. I'm like, can we please just you know stitch this up, put a a, a tourniquet or something to stop the bleeding of this bullpen, please? So thanks to Fromber, who came back much sooner than we expected. And Luis Garcia, man, you talk about another surprise who, I mean, we knew he had great stuff and we knew he had potential, but he has definitely made some strides in the last few. In fact, he's won his last five starts after going 0-3 at the beginning. So, man, I'm loving the Astros at least this week. This Garcia thing feels like it's come out of nowhere this year, and that leads me to this. McCullers is about to come off the injured list. Garcia has made 12 appearances this year, 10 starts. He hasn't given up more than three earned runs in any appearance this year. Hasn't given up more than two in 10 of those 12 appearances. In his last five starts, he's given up a total of six runs. Is there any way, Stephen, that you can put Garcia in the bullpen? He's one of the hottest pitchers in baseball right now. I don't see how, Robert. And, you know, it, honestly, if it were up to me, and I know it's still a fairly small sample size, but it, it's enough for me to, to start getting a bit concerned. Jake Odorizzi has just been terrible. I, I know he had the injury, but even in his first two starts before the injury, he didn't look that good. And he certainly hasn't looked good since the injury. I, I You know, I don't know. Whenever McCullers comes back, they're going to have to put somebody in the bullpen. I mean, they could have a six-man rotation, but I don't think that's a good idea. I, I just I, I think it throws pitchers off too much, and you've already got enough of that going on with you know enough injuries when pitchers are out of their rhythm. You've got to to me, you've got to go with the one who's least effective, and right now that's Jake Odorizzi. Well, let me counterpoint it just because I know the Astros are counterpointing it in their head right now. Two key factors to take into account: Odorizzi has made 200 career pitching appearances. All but three of them have been starts. Garcia pitched 120 in, 121 innings the last two seasons. This year, he's already pitched 59 innings. We would doubt that he could just go through the entire season without either a break or, you know, something to stop him because he's never done this before. I agree. But, I, I mean, look, and, and there's the other factor, too. Jake Odorizzi's making a whole lot of money to be put in the bullpen at this point. I get it, but at some point, uh, you know, when we're talking about stopping the bleeding, you know, if you've got a guy in your rotation that is getting roughed up almost every outing he's he's going to, uh, you know, consistently. I mean, I, I'm not. I think the, you know, Odorizzi is going to start in the uh, Red Sox series, so that'll be another indication of you know maybe can he turn things around. I mean, if you have to put Luis Garcia in the bullpen, you have to. You already got Christian Javier there too, so. And we don't know, and I mean, I hate to say this, but there's probably going to come a point 
where somebody else is either going to go down or you're going to have some more ineffective, somebody else that's ineffective. So it may work itself out and Luis may have to stay in the rotation regardless. Also, we need to look at this because this is worth discussing with everything that's going on big picture. And Odorizzi's future is something that I thought about because is he a starter next year if Javier Urquidy, Fromber, McCullers, and Garcia are healthy? I'm guessing he is not. Keep in mind, Odorizzi makes $8 million this year, $6.5 million next year. Steven, is it just me or is it becoming painfully obvious that you need to trade him for a reliable reliever? And more importantly, can you get a reliable high leverage reliever for Jake Odorizzi? What I mean is, will a non-contender, you know, a non-contender, will they give you a high-end reliever for what really is just an aging starter, right? Yeah, I mean, that's. I think that's going to be a hard sell. I don't know that you could do it one-on-one. Uh, yeah, I mean, you might have to, you'd, you'd have to throw somebody else into the package. You'd, you'd have to throw in a prospect. And of course, the Astros farm system has been so diminished over the last few years. Yeah, you've got, you've got some guys showing some flashes this year. But, but as far as, you, you don't have any Forrest Whitley's or Kyle Tucker's that you're going to trade at this point, you know, to be able to to do something. So a, a straight, you know, one-on-one trade, Jake Odorizzi for so-and-so reliever, I, I don't see that happening. You're, you're going to have to toss in someone else in there. I guess you want to blame James Click and go, why did you sign Odorizzi? But we got to remember the circumstance. I mean, just a few months ago, we thought, Fromber could be out for the season. We had no idea Luis Garcia was going to come out of nowhere, uh, be a Cy Young candidate maybe at this point in the season. I don't know, but Jacob deGrom's having a pretty good year. But, uh, you know, with that, that's National League. But there's there's guys out there, I'm sure, better than him. But still, you, you didn't know it at the time. I feel like they've got to look at potentially doing something with Odorizzi. I mean, you can say, well, you, you never can have enough starters, but... The Astros have to look at what you want to do this year. And this is a year you got to go for it because we know Carlos Correa is gone at the end of this year. I mean, I hate to tell you guys, but he's gone. And this is one of your last chances to maybe do something. You've still got Zach Granke for this year. He's probably gone after this year. Uh, so this is your window right now. Yeah, it absolutely is. And the thing about Odorizzi, you have to understand – that late into the season, when you've already done spring training and you'd already played a number of games, I mean, who else out there w- was going to be any better? And, you know, they have to round themselves into shape. And that's something that Odorizzi has had to do. I mean, he didn't have the typical spring training. He's had to come in in the middle of the season and get ramped up, and then he gets the injury. So, I mean, I get that there are some factors that, that were kind of against him. But at the same time, it just boils down to can you be effective over the course of a season? And and I'd say a couple more starts, you know, that you give him. And if he continues to get roughed up, I mean, you have to look at the fact that, look, something needs to change. And if you've got a guy like Luis Garcia who's going to continue to be hot, how can you take him out? Uh, yeah, I, I'm concerned about him pitching a, a great number of innings over the course of a long season. But you could say that about a lot of these pitchers, too. It's a no-brainer. If Lance McCullers is coming back this week, the next time Jake Odorizzi is up, he's out of the rotation. There's no question about that for me. And I just feel like you ride Garcia while he's hot. If he starts to tail off a little bit in a month or two, then maybe you can give him some rest and bring Odorizzi back. You got to put Odorizzi in the bullpen. I mean, 
you know, it'd be nice to have a, a great arm like Garcia in the bullpen and it would help you a whole lot, but hopefully, you know, you got Christian Javier, maybe Pedro Baez comes back at some point this month. I mean, he's due, but I haven't heard a word about that. Have you? No, not lately. I mean, I think it's, it's going to be a while. And even if he does come back, I mean, again, the question is how effective is he going to be? Let me ask you this. And you know, you brought this up last year and I don't, I'm not saying the Astros will do this, but when Lance McCullers comes back, you know, how effective is he going to be? And again, I mean, how many times have we questioned his durability over the course of a season? I mean, to me, the right thing to do might be to just put him in the bullpen and let him work his way back, easing back into it that way. But again, I don't see the Astros doing that. Not with him. I don't see it either. You know, last week we started the segment Dusty's Dumbfounding Decision of the Week. And this is not a Dusty call. I think this is an organizational call. And I thought this would be easy to come up with, you know, just have something different each week the way it's been with Dusty this year um, yeah. and last year. But it was hard for me this this week. Did you have anything? Not really. I mean, when I when I looked at I, I didn't see the game on Sunday when Luis Garcia pitched. And the first thing that I saw is that he went six innings and how effective he was. My first question was, well, Dusty, why in the world did you pull him after only six innings? He could have gone at least maybe one, maybe two more, but then come to discover that he had been fighting a cold throughout the whole game and he was just not feeling well and running out of gas. So can't really blame Dusty for for taking him out after six innings. That's really the only thing that jumped out at me, I think. I don't always catch the post game, but I like to hear sometimes what Dusty says or doesn't say. And we've talked about the Miles versus Chaz debate before. And I'm going to have some numbers on that in a second. But Uncle Mike's about to come off the injured list. We're getting to the point where we might have to decide who's going to be in the lineup more often day to day. And Dusty talked about uh, Chaz at one point. I think it was after Sunday's game. Maybe it was Saturday's game. Somebody just asked him, what did you think of Chaz's game today? He had had a home run, you know, and I think it was a little bit of like, well, where is he at right now? And I noticed, Stephen, that Dusty kind of pointed out the stuff that Chaz did not do all that well that particular game, which is interesting because you don't hear that a lot about Miles Straw, who, by the way, decides he's going to stand up at home plate instead of slide, even though Correa is telling him to slide. And he had already been thrown out once this year by Yuli's brother in left field. And he got thrown out again because <laughs> he didn't slide. Yeah, I know. Miles, I guess he thinks that his speed, you know, with that kind of speed, you don't need to slide. Well, yeah, you still need to slide. <laughs> you know, if it's a close play, you've got to do it. I, I think Miles, if I remember right, he had said something about his view was obscured. And so he didn't see Correa motioning for him to slide. I don't know. As far as Jazz McCormick, you know, I mean, he's done a decent job in the corner outfield positions, and he gives you that pop. I mean, he's he's like the extra base guy, the extra base hit guy. He just seems to come up. I mean, his batting average isn't that great, but when he does come up with hits, it's either home runs, doubles, you know, so he has that pop in his bat that you like. But, you know, Miles Straw has been hitting better. He's He's changed his stance a little bit. I think he changed the positioning of his hands and, uh, you know, he's, he's gone four of it out of his last seven. So, I mean, it might be an interesting battle to watch, you know, as Michael Brantley does come back. I don't know if you remember Nick Bakai on ESPN back in the old days. Vaguely do. Yeah. But yeah, he used to have the tail of the tape. Here's my tail of the tape right. between Miles and Chaz at this moment, as we're recording this on Tuesday morning, 
Chaz has a 125-point edge in OPS over Straw. With runners in scoring position, Straw, 547 OPS. Chaz, 1299 OPS. So he has been super clutch. They both have 19 RBIs, but Chaz has done it in 124 less plate appearances. And here's something that I think we have to talk about because the speedy straw, and I put speedy in quotation marks as I'm writing this on my notes, the speedy straw is on pace for 16 stolen bases this year. He's played a lot of games this year. He has seven steals, has been caught four times, not exactly a high percentage for all of the height that we hear about. Oh, he's so fast. He's so fast. And by comparison, Remember that Altuve had seasons of 56, 38, 35, 33, 32, and 30 steals, Stephen. Yeah, and wasn't it Miles Straw who went on MLB Network during the offseason and said he, he could steal 60 bases? I, I, it's something like that, as I recall. You know, as I've always said, and I say this about NFL wide receivers too, you can have all the speed in the world, but in regard to baseball, base running isn't just about speed. It's about instincts. It's about reading the pitchers. It's about timing. There's, there's a lot of things that go into that. And, and I don't think, I, I mean, I think Kyle Tucker is a better base runner than Miles Straw. I think he makes smarter decisions. You know, the, the blazing speed by itself isn't going to get it done. He's got to get the timing down, and he's, he's got to know when the opportunities are there. So, uh, you know, that's the big thing for me. I, I'm not all that impressed with his speed as, as far as, if you're going to parlay that into stealing bases, there's got to be a lot more into it. Chaz isn't slow either. No, he's not. Uh, he may not have the blazing speed, but he's, I think, you know, he's, he's got a much smaller sample size, certainly. But as far as Miles Straw, I, I think that as, as time goes on, and if Chaz McCormick continues to play as well as he does, you're going to have the same thing that you have with Luis Garcia. How do you keep the guy out of the lineup? We're just two weeks away from the halfway point of the season. So I figured, hey, it's time for a look at where the team is overall. They're one game behind the A's in the division. They've got the ninth best record in baseball and sixth best run differential, which means the record hasn't quite met up with how good they've played. That's a good sign. Offensively, the Astros, they're the best team in baseball. It's not even close. They're number one in OPS, batting average, and run scored. On the pitching side, they're 10th in whip. And ERA. So there's no guessing what they are right now, Stephen. They're great offensively. And they're top third pitching-wise. There's some room for growth there. Could they drop off a little bit offensively? Maybe. But they could also pick it up a little bit from the pitching side. The question is, will there be drop-off from the starters? Because we know their bullpen maybe has some growth room. But I, I don't know. You know, as the season goes on, that's really going to be the question. And then, of course, we have the trade deadline, and I just don't see the Astros sitting on their hands and doing nothing, especially with the pitching the way it's been. And, and you know, Robert, the, it's it's remarkable, you know, with, with all the figures you just quoted, you know, as much as we have, you know, just thrown darts at the bullpen and how bad it has been, it really is remarkable the Astros are where they are. But I will say that I think of one of the keys to their success in the last week and a half is the starters are going longer. You know, in the last 11 games, the Astros starters have a 248 ERA. So things have kind of evened out. And, you know, as you, if your starters are going longer, that's definitely going to make it better for your bullpen. 
especially as ineffective or inconsistent as it's been lately. So, yeah, obviously the pitching needs to come through. The offense is going to go through ups and downs, but we knew coming into the season, the Astros lineup, it, it definitely was their best weapon, you know, as far as, except for maybe a, a couple of their starting pitchers. And and one of the things I think that has been a really nice surprise, Jose Altuve has come in and taken over that leadoff spot. He may not have equaled George Springer, but hey, he's hitting leadoff home runs just like George Springer did. How about that? Hey, how about the fact that George Springer has been injured a lot this year? That's and right. The Astros didn't have to pay a lot of money to keep him around to be on the bench. And so far, maybe they dodged a bullet. I don't know. Well, and, and as I was thinking about this, you know, think of all the Astros that have gotten away in the past few years that we thought we couldn't do without. Now, Garrett Cole, he, it, so far, he's earning the money that the Yankees are paying him. I mean, he's doing what he's supposed to do. But, you know, you think about. George Springer, you think about Marwin Gonzalez. I mean, remember how valuable Marwin Gonzalez was for the Astros, but you really haven't heard much from him since he left. So, you know, the fact that Carlos Correa is leaving, he's not exactly setting the world on fire either this year. He's had his ups and downs. So I think, you know, that these things do have a way of evening out. Sometimes, you know, maybe the best decision is to let a guy walk. I don't know if you saw, but Marwin had a pretty big error in one of the games to help the Astros win a game this week. That's right. He sure did. So, yeah, I, I mean, it, all is not always lost when these players leave for that kind of money. And, you know, the Astros have shown that tendency that they're just not willing to step up. If, if they allow a guy to go to free agency, they're just not going to be willing to step up and, and pay him, you know, the, the huge amount of money that they're going to command. Any other stuff from the Astros, at least this week? I've got a couple other Astros-related stuff, but did you have anything else? No, other than just I, I think, you know, we can keep an eye on some of the pitchers perhaps that, you know, might be on the trading block at some point. But again, you know, with, with the farm system the Astros have, uh, you know, I, I don't know. It's, whatever moves they make, I don't see them making any major moves coming up in the next month and a half. But it's just good that things have kind of evened out Maybe we won't need to hit the panic button so much by the time the trade line does get here and maybe make a small move here or there to shore up some things, maybe stop a, a little bit of blood here. But just, you know, it's it's going to be they're going to have the Red Sox series coming up and against the Twins. So in the next week or two, as you said, we're almost approaching the halfway point. Gosh, that's crazy. It seems like baseball season just started yesterday and we're already almost halfway through. Before I move to the Rockets, you know, it kind of went under the radar, but over the past week, two former Astros died. Neither are major names for most Astros fans, but I want to at least mention them. I'm going to start off with reliever Mike Marshall, who died at age 78. He played for a bunch of teams, the Tigers, the Seattle Pilots, then the Astros, but only for four games, five and a third inning. So like I said, not a major name in Astros history, but then he goes to the Expos, Dodgers, Braves, Rangers, Twins, and Mets. But Steven, it was really two years after he left the Astros where his career takes off in a big way. He had an eight-year stretch from 72 to 79 when he finished in the top 10 in the MVP race three times, all of it as a reliever. So that's even more amazing. And he even won a Cy Young Award. Incredibly, he had five top Cy Young finishes and that's somebody that was a reliever i say that again because that's so unusual well when you say under the radar i, I mean you think about how many other former astros during the 70s went on to have much better careers 
<laughs> than they did with the Astros. Think of all the players they traded to the Cincinnati Reds, you know, but but yeah, you can put Mike Marshall in that category. And I don't know that he was exactly the pioneer as far as, you know, when you really started paying attention to relief pitchers and, and the role that they played. But he was definitely one of the first guys that, you know, you could point to. I mean, I remember his years with the Dodgers. It seems that he was really effective when he was with the Dodgers. But I, Mike Marshall was one of those guys you, you, I think you could point to and say, man, he was one of the ones instrumental in people taking more notice that, hey, you can bring in a relief pitcher, stop the bleeding, and it be effective. And kind of, uh, you know, reshaping the way baseball eventually became and is even more so now than it was then. One thing that he did that you'll never see again, and we need to raise a glass for this in particular to Mike Marshall, because with all the glass arms in today's baseball, let's remind everybody that he had seasons where he pitched in 90, 92, and 106 games. Yes, 106 in that Cy Young Award season. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, if you look at it now, we we tend to forget how, you know, decades ago, some of these pitchers, they'd pitch every day for consecutive days, like a week <laughs> when it came to relief pitching. You know, I, I think a lot of it, the, the conditioning has changed so much since then too, Robert. And I'm not sure it's for the good. I think that's one of the reasons you're seeing so many glass arms now. And, and a lot of it too is when they're developing as kids. I just, I, I think there's a lot of reasons you can point to to say that we just have more problems now with with pitching arms than we used to. But man, you talk about a bionic arm. Mike Marshall was one of those for sure. The Astros traded him for a guy named Don Bosch. Give me all your Astros Don Bosch memories, Stephen. Go. Ooh, yeah, go. <laughs> uh, stop. Because yeah, I'm, I'm vaguely remembering the name. I mean, I've been following the Astros since the 70s, but uh, that name, I'd have to take a day to kind of think about that. Don Bosch. He, he obviously... Nothing ever came of him as far as the Astros were concerned. Okay, yeah. Nothing came of him is an understatement because according to baseball reference, center fielder Don Bosch played in 146 games in four seasons with a 443 OPS. So bad baseball player, but this is my favorite part. He never played a game for the Astros. They sent him to the minors that year after the trade, which was his last year as a pro player. Yeah, that's what I thought. It's like, I know he didn't play those games with the Astros, because if he was with the Astros, I'd certainly remember him, <laughs> no matter how minor a role he played. So uh, that would make sense. The other former Astro who passed away was Tim Tolman. He's been a special assistant with the Cleveland Indians when he uh, died this week at age 65 from Parkinson's. He was drafted in the 12th round by the Astros in 1978 out of USC. So I think a lot of Astros will remember him much more as an Astro, obviously. And Tolman was an outfielder, first baseman for the Astros from 81 to 85, basically a bench guy playing 107 games total. He had a 560 OPS and 150 at-bat. So, you know, not, not much, but he was around for a few years. He spent his last two seasons with the Tigers. And how about this? In his entire big league career, you know, didn't play a whole lot. But he never committed an error, not one error in his big league career. He also managed in the Astros minor league system from 91 to 96 and was a scouting supervisor for three years in the early 2000s. Yeah, he's a name. I, I do remember the name. Um, I, I also remember his name as a manager, I think, even more as a player. But, yeah, that's pretty incredible. I mean, he may not have played 10 or 15 years, but if you can go that long 
without committing an error, hey, listen, you know, the, most people have never even played a major league game. So the fact that you even get there, that's a plus. So, wow, we've lost two more this week. So, uh, you know, we certainly our condolences to uh, both their families. Yeah, not names that I think everybody's very familiar with as Astros, but I know Mike Marshall is somebody that if you're a huge baseball fan, you know who Mike Marshall is. And major announcement from the Rockets broadcast uh, team this week, or one of the broadcast team, Matt Bullard, said on Jackson Gatlin show, actually, Locked On Rockets host, that he was told the Rockets weren't renewing his contract. So that means Bill Worrell and Matt Bullard will not be on the TV broadcast. Just a total shock to Bullard and Rockets fans. Steven, I know you don't get a chance to hear Bullard since you're in the Austin area. Do you have any take on this or you want me to me to take this one? Well, I, I mean, I have heard him not recently, but I, I have heard him on some telecasts in the past. And I, you know what I think, Robert, I mean, it caught me a little by surprise. I mean, I thought that, you know, Matt is certainly, I, I don't know. And you and I have talked about this off the air. If there's one thing we could point to, you know, Matt, I don't know. Matt doesn't exactly, in my opinion, have the greatest of takes, I, but I, what I think is, and this is obviously just my own speculation coming into play here. You know, maybe the Rockets just wanted to start with a clean slate, just like they're doing in their front office. You know, Bill Worrell's retiring. So I think that they just they, they decided, you know what, let's just go in an entirely different direction with the TV crew. So it's going to be interesting to see you're going to replace not one, but two guys now. But yeah, I have to say, I, I was a little bit surprised that they didn't renew Matt's contract, uh, you know, a former player, that doesn't necessarily mean anything, really. Uh, it must be that they just want to take an entirely different tack with the direction of the TV broadcast, especially now that Bill Worrell is gone. As a trained broadcaster, uh, you know, I have strong opinions about a lot of these guys. Matt Bullard was somebody, for me, that felt a lot of milk toast as far as his, right. you know, takes. Like you said, it, he, he would not say anything that I ever thought was extremely interesting. I felt like if you were the grandmother at home and you wanted just the basics and, you know, just, he would repeat things over and over again. I didn't feel like he was adding any new stuff to particular players. It was like, yeah, I've heard you say that a million times about this guy or that guy. There wasn't a whole lot of super interesting stuff for me from Bullard. The cool thing about having Matt Bullard around though, was he had all the history with the Rockets and he could talk about you know, winning the Rockets' first championship and the players on that team, and he knew those guys, and he brought that in the same way that Bill Worrell had all the history. So, you know, they could bring in another former Rocket with some of that history, whether it might be a Mario Eli or I don't know who, but I just feel like if you're going in another direction away from that, it, that's what's going to be lost is is that that history and you know, Matt Bullard is a great guy and I've got nothing but good to say about him, but I don't feel like it's a, a huge loss as far as the broadcast team, but you know, you can always go hire somebody worse. Just like with coaches, you're like, Oh, I don't know if I like this guy that much. And then you go hire somebody that really sucks. So. Well, yeah, there is that. And listen, you know, this is just from a sentimental standpoint, but I would love to see them bring Calvin Murphy back. And I mean, I know he's, what is he a studio analyst now, but I, I, I'd put him back on the color, for goodness sake. I mean, you know, say what you will about Calvin Murphy, but he had some personality. I, I just, yeah, I would say, I, I don't, I'm not saying that's what they're going to do, obviously. But that would be my sentimental pick is 
you know, whether they're going to move Craig Ackerman into that spot or hire someone totally different, make bring Calvin Murphy back as your color analyst. The problem with Calvin is he's not a long-term answer there. And you would think with the young team and everything new in the organization, they're looking for somebody maybe younger and, and could go after a younger crowd, I guess. Yeah, and I'm sure that's what they're going to do. That, as I said, that's just my sentimental pick. But no, I, I don't see them bringing Calvin back in that role. Yeah, he's now 73 years old, Murphy. Right. And, and the best thing would have been to have him with Bill Worrell because they were the best Rockets team in history, in my humble opinion. Boy, he doesn't seem 73, though. He still seems like he's 40. <laughs> oh, just, I, just... I wish I ever had his energy when I was 20. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Uh, did you see the Rockets lottery representative was picked? And did you see who it's going to be? You know, I actually missed that. Akeem Elijahwan. Hey. Yeah, it's. It, they, I thought they should have picked Robert Ori, but Akeem, he wasn't there there when they won the coin flip, but... He's brought us luck, obviously. Well, I was going to say, you know, that would be my pick if you were going to do that because, uh, you know, either him or maybe bring Ralph Sampson in there to <laughs> if, see if the uh, the genie can rub the bottle one more time on this coin flip. So, yeah, I have no problem with, yeah, Robert Ory would have been fine, but I have no problem with Akeem being the rep. Somebody said on Twitter, what would really be cool is if Dream wore that suit that he wore when he was the number one pick a few years ago. <laughs> Hey, that would help too, I would say. Uh, that was a crazy tux. I think it was a tux. It was just, you know, it was a crazy 1980s tux. That would be kind of fun, just that 80s tux look. A quick Rockets trivia, by the way. Uh, speaking of number one overall draft choices, 45 years ago today, the Rockets picked number one overall in the NBA draft. 45 years ago, Stephen, who was the pick? Oh, you're going to make me guess again, aren't you? You hate oh, this God. stuff, I know. I hate this. Yeah, 86. It would have been 86, right? No, go back 10 more years. Wait, you said 35 years? 45. Oh, 45. Oh, 76. John Lucas? That's correct. He's still around. Yeah, John Lucas. Man, I, I 45 years. I, I I, kind of I lost track. At first, I thought it was 1986. But then I'm like, no, it's 45 years. So John Lucas, wow. And here's a follow-up to that. And this is a real tough one because I don't know if I would have any clue on this, but what other pro basketball team drafted John Lucas? And I'm going to put in quotes, pro basketball team, because <laughs> it, it was, it was an international team, right? It wasn't, I mean, I know it wasn't an NBA team. No, it was actually the ABA New York Nets. Oh, that's right. They did draft him. I do remember that now. Yeah. It was the New York now New Jersey Nets. Okay, so you said 35 years ago at first, and you were unclear. 35 years ago today was actually pretty big, too, in Rockets history because the Celtics beat him in Game 6 of the NBA Finals to win the championship. Might have helped to have John Lucas for that, who was lost during the regular season because of those drug issues that are very much you know, a big part of the John Lucas story. Of course, a lot of players, though, benefited down the road thanks to his wisdom. So, you know, other lives might have been saved. Yeah, no doubt. And that's certainly a series we'll never forget. You know, that's when, uh, you know, Ralph Sampson hit the floor at Boston Garden and, you know, Akeem got into a fight. I mean, that that was quite a series. And we thought maybe the Rockets at least could keep it close. And they kind of did. But nobody was going to beat the Celtics that year. What sucked is, didn't they beat us on the home floor here in Houston? I, I hate yeah. it. Yeah. 
They did. They did. Yep. Unfortunately. All right. So speaking of the NBA playoffs, this is the most fun part of the NBA playoffs for, for me. The conference semis is my favorite time because this is when it gets real serious and it's even more fun because it feels as wide open as we've seen it in a while. There's no LeBron James this year. He's gone. A no loaded Warriors team. Brooklyn loaded with superstars, but our friend James Harden now out with a hamstring injury. Steven, this playoffs is also cool because if you look at the teams left, none of them have won a championship since the Sixers did in 1983. The Bucks haven't won since 71. The Hawks since they were in St. Louis back in 1958. The Suns, Nets, Jazz, Nuggets, and Clippers have never won. Well, you know what? I guess from a network standpoint, it's a nightmare because they, they certainly want to see the marquee guys. You know, the NBA is is all about player marketing, and all those names you just mentioned aren't in it. I mean, I guess at the moment, <laughs> the biggest name is Giannis. And, uh, you know, even without James Harden for most of the game, the uh, the Nets still won. So, yeah, it, it is. I mean, I if personally, from a fan standpoint, I haven't gotten into the NBA playoffs much, certainly in the first round, but... It's getting a little more interesting for me, and I I actually like it when it's wide open. You know, we don't even have Luka Doncic to watch anymore, unfortunately. And I guess you saw where Mark Cuban has, has given Rick Carlisle, the former Rockets coach, of course, a vote of confidence. We'll see how long that lasts. But, um, yeah, it, it's – for me, I like it when it's more wide open. I, just the, the unpredictability factor is something that if you're going to keep me interested in the NBA playoffs, I don't want to see the same teams, the same – players over and over and over necessarily year after year. You're speaking to the choir on that. I'm going to circle back to the Mavs in a bit, but the marquee matchup was supposed to be Milwaukee and Brooklyn. And I am so disappointed in the Bucks. Harden gets hurt right out of the gate. Milwaukee still loses the first two games, gets blown out in game two. Steven, I got to get into coach Bud because he's badly getting out coached again in the playoffs his strategy appears to be let's run up and down the court with the nets which is just stupid they have the size and the physical advantage in this series that's their big advantage they should turn this into the tractor plow that you know you would try to do with that you want to slow it up use their size to beat up on the nets and i'm just dumbfounded at what they're trying to do i also don't get Giannis settling for threes uh, he's been just railroaded by Blake Griffin, which I didn't see coming. Blake's done a fantastic job on him. This is a lot about the intelligence of the Nets and Steve Nash, who has done a brilliant job this year under the radar, unappreciated because, you know, apparently they've got everybody, but everybody's in and out of the lineup all the time. And, you know, he's usually doing dealing with one superstar, maybe two instead of the three. It's about intelligence, though, not talent in this series. No, I have to absolutely agree with you, Robert. This is all about coaching. In fact, I, you put something out on Twitter a few a few days ago, kind of what you just said, that you put it in a way that made me chuckle because you're you're absolutely right. And, and you know, the Bucks they, they stumbled last year. I mean, I know Giannis was hurt part of that time, but it's it's almost as if they're not playing to their strengths. And look, when you get in the postseason, you got to do that. And I, it just, from the way it looks... You know the, the Bucks bow out, then Giannis is out. So you're you're really going to have even fewer superstars going into you know conference finals and and finals if he's not there. So yeah, the the way things are looking, the Nets even without James Harden 
are going to advance, and the Bucks are going to go home again, falling short this year. I thought de facto this was the NBA Finals. I thought the winner would win the NBA Finals because Milwaukee with Giannis and Chris Middleton and Holiday and their defense, and you know they still have the offense as well. They've got a lot of talent on that team, and Brooklyn, we know their talent, but now I'm not so sure because Brooklyn – can they win this whole thing without James Harden being a hundred percent? And I don't know when he's even going to play next. That hamstring injury is a big deal. And if you're a Rockets fan, uh, this is kind of an interesting story because James, James Harden could be having uh, some of those injuries start to pop up that you would be worried about for a guy that logged as many minutes. And that matters for the Rockets draft choices moving forward. We know. Well, it, it certainly does. And what's interesting is, you know, for the most part, James Harden was about as durable a player as you could have on the Rockets. I mean, he hardly ever went out with an injury. And now that he's gone, and so, you know, the James Harden haters, of course, are pointing to this and say, well, see, he still can't do it in the playoffs. Now, it's not that he can't perform, but now he can't perform because he's hurt. So I, I just, that was the first thing that crossed my mind when I saw him go out. And, you know, I'm certainly not chuckling about it. Nobody, you don't want to see anyone get injured especially long-term and especially in the playoffs. But that was the first thing that popped into my mind is, oh, I can hear the hardened haters now. See, he still can't get it done in the playoffs. Now he's hurt. We still going to see him in a strip club after games if he's not playing? Uh, more than likely. You know, what else does he have to do, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a perfect situation <laughs> for him. He doesn't have, to, doesn't have to do anything. And he can go to the strip club at night and pick up his championship ring if, if they can pull it off. And so, hey, I got to talk about two players that I – absolutely love 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 to watch in this playoffs and Jokic is just such a joy I love how Denver moves the ball and it's all about Jokic who sets the tone his game is beautiful and even though Luka is out of the mix what he can do is so special you mentioned him earlier Stephen. if they ever give him another star to play with the Mavs will win a title he's that good but going back to Jokic and the Nuggets I'm not sure if there's a more fun series in this round than Denver and Phoenix, although, boy, Michael Porter going out in game one with the back injury is a big red flag, and then I think Denver gets blown off the floor. But both teams play unselfish basketball. And for Rockets fans, think about this, Stephen. We get the Austin Rivers CP3 matchup. Hey, how about that? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. All the former Rockets that are still in the playoffs and – you know, I like the look of this Nuggets team. I, I agree with you about Jokic. He's fun to watch. You know, I'm I'm not completely sold on the Jazz, and of course the Suns. I I don't I don't know. I'm I'm still kind of on the fence with them, but I I do like the way the Nuggets play ball. They're going to be a team to watch if they can stay together and stay healthy in the future. It's just sad because they've lost both of their guards, both their starting guards, and Murray is not going to be able to play again until late next year. And I don't know if he's a hundred percent then. And I, I, as I watch this playoffs, I'm like, yeah, Denver could have won the championship. Very good chance. They would have won the finals uh, in the Western conference with Murray. I, I don't know if they can beat Brooklyn if they're a hundred percent, but you know, they've had a bunch of injuries, not just Murray, but they've lost other guys as well. Um, and, and their backups are still really good, but you get to backups of backups and, and it's more and more on Jokic's plate now the Porter injury. But, you know, all of that is just – it sucks because, you know, Denver is a team that's a, a new team in the mix, and they're so fun to watch. And I, I thought the Aaron Gordon trade was a stroke of genius for them, and it was all set up. 
then it just all falls apart when, you know, one of these injuries happens and we've seen it with the Rockets over the years and yeah. we've seen it with Portland many a time with guys like Brandon Roy and, you know, they've had so many crazy injuries with their players over the years. And it just makes things even more wide open. And of course I'm a Western conference fan, but it kind of makes me wonder, is this the year that the East is going to sneak in there and win the championship? I, I think it's certainly possible. I don't want to get into the jazz series yet. Uh, I'm going to have to wait a little bit on that, but the casual fan, they may not care about the Hawks, but they should. The Hawks have been about as impressive as any team I've seen in the playoffs from game to game. Steven, none of those guys appear intimidated. They also hustle nonstop. The defense way better than the individual parts. Danilo Gallinari is playing defense. What? What? <laughs> yeah. How did, where did that come from? Yeah. And Trey Young is, is definitely coming into his own. I mean, who would have thought the Hawks would, would advance this far? But I like the looks of them too. I mean, as I said, I'm a Western Conference fan more than an Eastern Conference. But if I were cheering for anybody in the East, it would be the Hawks. Just because I love just that, that young enthusiasm and energy. And as you said, they're playing defense. And that makes a lot of difference in the playoffs, especially when you're going this deep. Trey Young is the shocker of the playoffs. He looks like he's in his fifth playoffs already. The bravado, the toughness, the intelligence, the leadership, the theater of watching Trey Young. This is somebody that we thought, oh boy, what a terrible trade. The Trey Young for Luca deal. And I still think it's not a good trade because Luke is taller and that just matters in basketball, but it's all there with Trey young. And I wasn't at all shocked at how great they looked against the Sixers in game one. And I believe they shocked the world and win this series. Well, and I know it's a short sample size as far as the postseason goes, Robert, but you know, so many people have talked about Zion Williamson being the future face of the NBA. Well, you know, if, if Trey keeps going the way it is, it may be Trey Young who's going to be the face of the NBA as far as being, you know, the, the next superstar that we can keep an eye on just from watching him. I mean, you know, talent is one thing, but you got to have the swagger, the bravado, you know, as, as you said. And, and at, the, at least at this moment, Trey Young's got it. What he does at his size, which is maybe Allen Iverson size is much more impressive than what Allen Iverson could do because of the shooting, because of his passing, all of it combined. And, you know, he draws fouls too, like Allen Iverson did. You know, we know what that meant with James Harden. So yeah, I I just, I love to see all of these young guys stepping up Trey young, Deandre Ayton was somebody that took a lot of hits early in his career because he was not picked uh, or he was picked ahead of Trey Trey Young and Luca, so you know he's having a great playoffs and he's doing a nice job so far on Jokic, which is a big deal in that series and really makes it advantage Suns if he just holds serve a little bit with Jokic. But those guys are all stepping up and and this has been fun to watch and I, I just love watching these new guys come into their own and and give us something to look for in the future and. Let's talk about the present to end the show because Simone Biles just continues to own women's gymnastics. Our local legend, the first woman to win seven U.S. gymnastic championships. I don't know what else we can say about her, but she had a goat embroidered on the back of her leotard, (laughs) Stephen. 
that's the ultimate flex by the gymnastics goat. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, in this case, goat is a very good thing because we know what it stands for. Greatest of all time. You know, Robert, here's what here's what jumps out at me about Simone Biles. Even when she isn't at her best, she still far outdistances everybody else. You know, if if you watch the first night of competition on Friday, she wasn't exactly her absolute best. I think she had one major balance check on the beam. She had some out-of-bounds penalties on the floor exercises, you know, a, a small mistake on bars. But out of all that, she still won by a margin of 4.7. I mean, there there is nobody even close. So even when she's not at her best, Simone is still the best. That That's what really jumps out at me. As, and, and also, you know, when, when she starts off, just her explosiveness is amazing in, its, in and of itself. And she left something in the bank because a few weeks ago she pulled out a vault that nobody had ever done in women's history. Didn't even use that in this competition. The floor exercise, she does stuff there that nobody's ever done. Yeah, if you're just doing stuff that nobody else can do, gymnastics says, well, you're going to have an edge even if you screw up once or twice. And she's just so far ahead of everybody else in this era. And it's, you know, one of the most amazing things that you're going to see in, in any uh, athlete anywhere where, you know, they're so far ahead that they can screw up a few times and it doesn't even matter. I mean, Tom Brady, he, he can't screw up necessarily a bunch of times. <laughs> you know, if you're a golfer, sometimes you can get away with it, but it's hard. But in pitching, you make a couple of mistakes and, you know, there's a couple of home runs hit and it's a different baseball game. But, you know, Simone Biles is just so far ahead of everybody. Well, yeah. And, and I think, was it the uh, Yurchenko double pike? Is that the one you were talking about where, yeah, nobody had ever tried that? One of the, and I guess that's another thing you can point to with Simone Biles is she isn't afraid to take risks. That's what the greatest players or, you know, the, the greatest athletes, I guess, they're not afraid to take risks. And you know what? If they mess up, they mess up. But Simone Biles isn't afraid to take risks. And she still goes out there and does it. And, you know, and I've always said that you know that you are one of the greatest of all time when the sport either tries to change the rules because of you <laughs> or they just can't keep up. Or maybe a, I think with Simone Biles, it's a combination of both. You started off by saying what jumps out at me about Simone Biles. And that's what jumps out at me is she can jump. Those legs have <laughs> springs in them. Yeah, that's what I was talking about with her explosiveness and just the power that she exhibited. You know, a, a great explosive start is always beneficial. Sometimes it may actually be to her detriment. She might get a little too much power going and she has to and she almost overcompensates. But man, it is something to behold when she gets off the starting block. Just how explosive she gets. It, it's just amazing. I don't know what else to I don't know how else to describe it. You keep having to remind yourself, yeah, she's only four foot nine. I mean, I've stood yeah. next to her and towered over her and I'm not tall kids. So <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> Neither am I, but I'd, I'd probably tower over her too. But I, you know, the, the question is, Robert, you know, when she does retire, I, I'm sure somebody else will come along at some point, but gosh, she is so far ahead of the competition. What is the sport of gymnastics going to do? when she does decide to step out. Oh yeah. And it's, I mean, it's like, you got to watch gymnastics now because you're not going to, this is like watching Haley's comment. You're not going to see yep. this again. Yeah. I, I think this is probably going to be her last. 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, Tokyo is going to be the end of the road for her. I would assume she's kind of hinting at it. Uh, if you listen to her, what she's saying after these events, but we can wrap this up. The Astros, you know, big decisions this week. It'll be interesting to see what happens when Lance McCullers come back. You know, is it going to be Odorizzi in the starting rotation? I mean, that's the discussion. We're going to find out. You can always reach us on Twitter, Facebook, email info at Houston Sports Talk. Net. It's all right there in the show description if you forget it. In the meantime, until next week, stay healthy and safe, everybody. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.